2: From the Abraham Lincoln Radio Studio at the George Washington Broadcast Center. Jack Armstrong and Joe Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Uh,
0: You know, in many ways, uh, I think of John Kennedy and the Bay of Pigs. uh, uh, You know, it it unfolded quickly and uh, uh, the president thought that everything would be fine and uh, that was not the case. But President Kennedy took responsibility for what took place. And I, I, I strongly recommend to President Biden, that he take responsibility, admit the mistakes that were made.
3: That's Leon Panetta, former Secretary of Defense and Secretary, or ran the CIA. Um, uh, I, I'm not, you know, for domestic consumption, that sort of stuff is important. I'm not sure on the global stage if any of that matters right now.
4: Yeah, the president is taking it from all sides. But, yeah, let's talk about the uh, global effects. Ian Bremmer is the president of Eurasia Group. Uh, They help business leaders, policymakers, and folks like us understand the world around us. Ian Bremmer joins us. Ian, how are you, sir? Hey, good to be back with you guys.
3: You're one of the many Twitter feeds I followed a lot over the weekend, trying to get kind of the global perspective of this. How is the rest of the world, whether it's the Middle East or China, going to interpret what's happened in the last week?
0: Oh, the China, the Chinese are, you know, doing donuts right now saying the US is in decline and if you're Taiwan, this shows you you can't trust the Americans and we're going to take over soon. I mean, you know, they are leaning into a debacle on the ground and saying that that reflects American weakness. Um, the allies, of course, are, are deeply concerned uh, because they were not consulted. They fought with the Americans side by side mm. in Afghanistan for 20 years. But when it came time to leave, that decision was made unilaterally on an internal a domestic policy review by Biden. And they're not happy about that. Um, so no, no, and you're right. I mean, Biden is taking it from all sides right now. There is no easy way to lose a war. And, you know, I I do think that Biden makes a compelling case for why he made the decision to leave. And by the way, a popular decision at Mm -hmm. home in the United States. But but making that decision and then actually affecting that decision on the ground are two very different things. And it's very clear from the last 72 hours that the United States has made some very big mistakes
4: on the ground. There's a tendency to make grand grand pronouncements when something like this occurs. It's a good way to get uh, air and clicks and the rest of it. Uh, Do you think when the dust settles a year or two from now, this is going to be seen as a major global development or just another chapter in Afghanistan's long, troubled history?
0: It's not over yet. Um, I think that as long as no Americans are killed as we close this, um, there'll be a big spike in attention on the 9-11 anniversary when the Taliban are parading all of the American equipment material that they've stolen. And, you know, the embassy's closed and a, a Taliban flag's on top of it. That, that's going to be bad in the United States and globally. But that's not, you know, you asked me midterm elections, 2024, is Afghanistan playing a big role the answer is no, as long as it doesn't get worse. But, you know, you still have five to 10,000 Americans on the ground right now in Afghanistan. And you guys will forgive me if I don't trust the Taliban when they say that they're not going to interfere with the ability of Americans to get out. I'd rather get the Americans out first and then, 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 then say, OK, it's done. Because if we end up with a hostage-type situation, like we did with the American embassy in Tehran in seventy-nine, this will be the end of Biden's presidency. He will have, he will have destroyed it. And I don't think that's going to happen, but it's not like a 1% chance. There's a real possibility of that. So, I mean, let's just recognize that we're still in it right now.
3: How, how would Taiwan, for instance, not look at this and think, wow, I'm not sure they're going to come to our defense
0: uh, well, there's a big difference between Taiwan and, say, Afghanistan. I put Afghanistan more in the Ukraine and Georgia camp. These are countries that, irrespective of what we say, we don't actually care about because we don't have significant national interests at play. And so when they get invaded by the Russians, in the case of Ukraine or Georgia, or when the Taliban takes over, in the case of Afghanistan, we just pull out. We say, hey, sorry, we'll support human rights and maybe we'll put some sanctions on, but that's it. I mean, if the Chinese were to take Taiwan, I want to be very clear. Um, our our industry in the United States, I mean, you know, anything from automotives to home appliances to advanced technology, we don't have semiconductors. Eighty percent of all semiconductors exported globally come from Taiwan. There is This is a critical national interest in the United States. And there is no question in my mind that we would defend it. Uh, And and that that speaks to the U.S. military engagement, to the arms sales, to the FONOPS, the the freedom of navigation operations we have in the region. And, and, And to be clear, the Chinese government is very well aware of that. So there is a difference between the propaganda that we're hearing from the Chinese government right now that trumpets American declinism and the reality of the balance of power, the strategic ambiguity, which is the name of that policy that we have with Taiwan.
4: Ian Brummer, president of Eurasia Group, is on the line. Ian, the administration, the president himself, looked very shaky to us right now, not inspiring a lot of confidence in you know our national security uh, situation. What do you think they're saying in the uh, the parlors of Chairman Xi or in Moscow or Tehran about Biden and the administration?
0: Yeah, they think that he's made a big mistake. This is the the first foreign policy crisis of his administration, and it's largely self-inflicted. And they think he looks weak. And they know that the credibility of American commitments, which had been shaken under Trump's America First administration, um, has now been further damaged under Biden, despite the fact that Biden's all about America is back. But let's also be clear that China has big problems right now. The third largest port in the world is presently partially closed because of Delta variant in China. And their vaccines don't really work against Delta variant. Ours do in the United States. They've got big debt problems. They've got big demographic problems. I mean, they're increasingly shutting down international IPOs because they can't control their local corporations even though the private sector drives most of their efficiency so i mean if you ask united states right and uh, and that that continues to be the case
3: it's, it's funny you bring up covid and this is the first story that has bumped covid off the front page since covid started and i mean we've, yeah. we've done a couple of days where we barely mentioned covid what what is the covid story globally right now
0: well the global story today and it's quite linked to Afghanistan, is that the United States in the coming days is going to approve um, third booster shots uh, for the entire American population that has already been vaccinated uh, eight months after the second vaccination, after the course has been completed. And the World Health Organization is strongly opposing the United States doing that while most of the global population hasn't gotten their first jab yet. And they're saying, look, if you want to give, you know, your immunocompromised people booster shots, fine, that's a tiny percentage of the population, but this is a global problem. We've got to pay attention to the rest of the world. And the Biden administration's response is, actually, I'm not president of the world. I'm just president of the United States, and I really don't care about what happens in these other countries. Now, he's not saying it that way, and we're providing donations to other countries. But to be very clear, right, the rest of the world is looking at the U.S. and is increasingly sensing that American interests, irrespective of who the president is, increasingly do not align well with the interests of their own countries or the world as a whole.
4: Bit of a general question. When do you see the world's uh, economic supply chain situation getting back to something close to normal?
0: Um, You know, I think that the issue is you're still going to see a lot of rolling disruptions uh, because countries are responding to COVID in such different ways and because the Delta variant has so much spread. So, I mean, China, the uh, supply chain for China, you'll remember, uh, over a year ago was almost fully back up and running. This was second quarter 2020. And today you're seeing rolling disruptions again. Why? because the Chinese government has zero tolerance for spread, especially with vaccines that don't work very well. There's still a lot of spread that we're going to see in middle and lower income economies. And that means that we're not going to have, uh, you know, international tourism back to what it was. We aren't going to have uh, those citizens allowed to travel to other countries where they can make more money and send remittances back home. So I think that supply chain will still see rolling disruptions probably until, you know, uh, mid to late 2022 at a minimum.
4: Well, the reason I ask is cuz my wife and I have been waiting for our dining room set for 6 months. Do you have any idea <laughs> yeah. where it is?
0: Where where's it coming from?
4: Yeah, probably China. I don't even know. Why don't,
0: you, why don't you get a van and go to North Carolina like yeah, a real American exactly. and actually buy something that Americans are paying. Yeah, some decent My furniture. wife picked it out. Why are you, you kidding? your wife, for Christ's sake? I mean, yeah. Who's in charge in your household?
4: I'm, I'm Do you really have to ask that?
3: No, <laughs> I don't. I, I'm fair. Um, uh, my, my final question flitted out of my head because I've got a uh, senior moment happening. What was it about? It was about <laughs> you uh, and the president. Oh, so... Is Afghanistan just so we're, you know, how, uh, however messy this is going to be over the last couple of weeks, assuming we get most people out and everything like that, is Afghanistan just going to be a hellhole run by these fundamentalist nut jobs that brutalize the population for the near future?
0: Uh, well, I mean, ish, in the sense that they, it's easy for the Taliban to take over the country, they're not going to be able to run it very well. I mean, the northern territories will still be effectively run by warlords. They'll engage in lots of, you know, rapacious taxation of local farmers uh, and the farmers will have to grow opium uh, so that they can make enough money to be able to pay it. But they're not going to be governed by the Taliban. The Taliban will govern, you know, pockets of the country and some cities and Kabul. Um, and so when you see the Chinese saying they're going to come in, they're going to befriend these guys, maybe they'll invest. Back before nine eleven, 11 Unical was trying to build a pipeline that was going to connect uh, Afghanistan, Turkmenistan, and Pakistan. It was the geopolitically stupidest pipeline Everyone, anyone had ever thought of trying to build. It never happened. Um, now we say, we're not talking about oil, we're talking about rare earths, and there are trillions of dollars of rare earths located underneath Afghanistan. The only problem is you have to actually invest there, and the Chinese are going to find that equally challenging over the long term.
3: Taliban's going to have high taxes. The opium farmers need to pay their fair share.
4: <laughs> Beautiful. Ian Bremmer, president of Eurasia Group. Ian, we always appreciate when you uh, carve off a couple minutes for us. Thanks a million. Be good guess. Thanks.
3: We've got hundred heirs and thousandaires
4: <laughs> who need to pay their fair share. How many goats does one man need? <laughs> oh, jeez. Oh, By the geez. way, I just got a text from Judy, North Carolina. Yeah, I
3: figured you bought real furniture, not the Chinese furniture that I usually get. Yeah,
4: I get yeah. like a couple of real pieces of furniture. They're way better. They they cost a lot more, but they're way better. I mean, oh, and if your kids want them, they'll be good, yeah. in great shape when your kids are you know of age. Yeah. Although, from what I hear, you know, Generation Z, they 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 sit on the floor, they eat off cardboard <laughs> boxes, they That's got right. no, use for, uh, the, no use for the no use for furniture. The key difference between
3: real furniture and cheap crappy furniture. Cheap, crappy furniture, you reach under it to move, you're going to get jabbed with a
4: staple. Real furniture, you are not. Oh, my God. That's so come on, China. That is the difference. I got a big old scar on my forearm. I don't know if you can see it. It's faded a little bit, but it looks like a suicide attempt because I reached behind a cheap, crappy yep. sofa in a go. hotel room to yep. unplug my charger, yep. and it just sliced my entire forearm yep. open. Cheap, crappy furniture. Lots of stuff. China. Uh, text
3: line four one five two nine five 295 kftc
2: The <laughs>